Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. People say, this is the most important election ever. No, it isn't. It's the same old stuff. Trump's answer is not to let the people decide, let the people be their own boss. He says, I'm the boss. I'll tell you what to do. And if the Chinese don't play fair, we're going to put a 45% tariff on. It's totally nuts. I don't even like politics. They get me to talk about it because they're irrelevant. It's irrelevant. Only one person in this conversation has run for president, though. So just from a game theory aspect, realistically, who's going to win? Dr. Paul, Ron Paul, thanks for coming on to my podcast. Welcome. Well, thank you. Good to be with you. And uh, Dr. Paul, there are so many questions and areas to go over, but I kind of want to naively roll back to the beginning. You were uh, a doctor uh, for many years. Uh, You were a doctor in the Air Force. You were a doctor in your hometown. What made you, who goes from being a doctor and actually like saving lives or specifically uh, bringing people to life in your case, uh, to wanting to be one of one of 535 ineffectual legislators in Washington, D.C. I'm, I'm taking it back to the beginning, the origin of Dr. Ron Paul. Well, it, um, it, was, it was just out of interest. Uh, when I was in medical school, I came across some, some you know, books and things that fascinated me other than medicine. I studied medicine for a long time as a resident all, but I always read extra. So it was sort of a, like a hobby, an extra activity that I enjoyed doing. And I came across some economic policies that made sense. I had taken some economics in college. It didn't make any sense. And I came across the School of Austrian Economics. And it, it was a lot of common sense. And I thought I was the only one that naturally thought that uh, markets should be left alone. And I, I thought I came to that uh, in a just common sense way. 
But it turns out that there were brilliant people like Mises and Hayek and Rothbard and all these people who uh, had written about that and explained it. And I thought, well, these guys are pretty smart. They agree with me. And, uh, and there were predictions made in the 60s. I was in, in uh, school, uh, medical school and residency in the 60s. And um, there were all these predictions that the silliness of our monetary system, the Bretton Woods Agreement, uh, set up after World War II was artificial, wouldn't work, and there would be failure. Henry Hazlitt wrote a lot about it. So this was all confirmed, and it was a big issue for me in 1971 when it was announced on Sunday night that the gold window would be closed and the uh, Bretton Woods would end and there'd be tariffs put on, and it was a big, big event. And this sort of confirmed the fact that Austrian economics uh, knew what they were talking about, and uh, I was fascinated with it. I just wanted to speak out about it. I didn't say, oh, you know, it's time for me to give up medicine. I think I'm going to go and run for Congress and be a congressman. That was the last thing I was thinking of because when I ran for Congress, the state of Texas was totally Democratic and there were only three other Republican uh, congressmen at the time. And I assured my wife, she was worried about it, that uh, I'd be giving up my medical practice. I told her there's no way uh, I can't possibly be elected because I'm gonna be running on less government, no promises, honest money, bringing troops home and all those things, which would be totally unpo unpopular. But she was convinced that the people are always looking for the truth. They're gonna believe you're telling the truth and you'll end up going to Congress. But uh, I thought she doesn't know anything what she's talking about. So uh, there's no danger that I'm gonna be elected, but uh, that didn't totally reassure her though. Well, you had what I consider probably the most effective campaigning strategy of anyone in history, which is you essentially delivered all the babies of your voters. <laughs> So if the people who voted for you, you if, if you're going to deliver babies in a district, then that mother is going to vote for you. Yeah, and and, so, and mothers and cousins and aunts and uncles. And uh, yes, uh, it's a popular type of business. It, it takes a little work, though. You have to get up at night a lot of times to, to do that. But it certainly wasn't uh, something that was detrimental, uh, politically speaking. So if they didn't accept or know what I believed in, at least they had a soft spot in their heart for the doctor that brought new life into the world. So I, I have two questions on this. One is, um, you know, you, 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 you came into Congress, just like you come into all of politics ever since then, not with a, uh, a view that, okay, I'm gonna figure out as I go along what's right or wrong. You had a core set of values uh, to help you judge uh, whether a policy is right or wrong. Maybe you could describe real quickly what that core set is, you know, based on this Austrian school of economics. Well, it started with the economics, but then as time went on, it wasn't like in the early 1970s that I knew exactly how all the pieces came together, civil liberties and foreign policy as well as economic policy. Uh, but as time went on, it made, it made so much sense that if you believed in non-intervention, I like the word non-intervention to describe what I believe in, that if you have this natural desire, which I think we all have, to be left alone. If you look at children and teenagers, they like to be left alone. And uh, yet uh, it's sort of beaten out of us, you know, by the establishment, by movies and newspapers and governments and all, no, you, you, you can't do this. But it comes together and it's non-intervention. The government has no moral authority to run your life if you're not hurting people. And they have no moral authority to tell you about your religious beliefs, your sexual beliefs. And uh, those same principles, instead of uh, chopping liberty into two pieces, it became logical to me 
to apply these principles to social moral values uh, of personal relationships with economic relationship. So some of the allies I had for defending civil liberties that they saw as civil liberties on social matters and sexual matters and all these other things, they can't possibly understand why there shouldn't be voluntarism in economic matters. But if, if it's explained to young people, which I've done a lot of uh, going to the colleges, it makes sense. Well, yeah, why should the government tell you how to spend your money? It's your money, you earned it. Government shouldn't regulate that and besides, if you really want a healthy economy, that's how you get a healthy economy. And then I just applied that to foreign policy, which others have indicated too, that if you want non-intervention, why in the world should you intervene in the internal affairs of other nations uh, just because you think it might help? But if you look at it, it never helps. Besides, the Constitution doesn't give the authority. And besides, if you look at it, it always makes things worse. So non-intervention is the thing that we should follow. Stay out of the business of trying to run people's lives, run the economy, or run the world. So I, I totally agree, particularly as far as the running the world part as well. Um, I'm going to play the devil's advocate a little bit, though, as I try to understand. So on the and two two questions I have. So the first question is, since the 60s or 70s, the world kind of driven by innovation in the U.S. is a lot better off. I mean, we have so many more technologies. We have so many more uh, innovations and medicines and, you know, the Internet. So so I feel like there's the political economy, which you refer to, which is all kind of screwed up with the Fed and all this interventionism and so on. But then there's this innovation economy that actually drives all, all of our life today. The quality of life right now is so much better even than like 1970 or 1960 I mean, how does how does how does economic policy, uh, your economic policy, jive with that? Well, that goes to show if there's a remnant of freedom left, it compensates tremendously and overcomes the many obstacles put in place by government. So, uh, yes, there's a lot of activities, the uh, a lot of regulations which cause nothing but harm, but people learn how to avoid it. There's a lot of taxation, but a lot of people preserve their wealth by getting around it, you know, and looking for loopholes and they're able to preserve their wealth. There's a lot of rules that, uh, you, you know, that are, are written, but they don't do any good. But the other major economic factor on this to argue, well, things are doing pretty good. Well, that used to be the case. You could make an argument 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I say by the end of the last century, uh, people might listen to that argument, but not anymore. It's been downhill for the middle class and there's good reason for it because we have accepted this immoral notion that uh, you print money and you create wealth and you can take care of all the problems and that debt doesn't matter. It's part of that Keynesian philosophy that debt is good, spending is good, borrowing is good, and if you don't have enough money, you print the money. So yes, it does work if you go out if I uh, am your banker and I loan you a million dollars a month because I think you're going to get a good job someday, you can live high on the hog and you say, boy, my standard of living is high. But maybe in a year from now, I'm your banker. I say, hey, you got to pay back and it can all come to an end. Governments can't do this. They can have the people in the country live high on the hog and live way beyond their means, but it takes a while for the payment to come due. And when it does, it isn't the individual that suffers. If you overextended, you have to suffer the consequences. When governments overextend and they do all these bad things, that the people who pay 
are the innocent people. Just look at what happened in the collapse of the economy in 08 and 09. The people who were ripping us off and making billions and billions of dollars, they got in over their head and they had to declare bankruptcy. Oh, too big to fail. We got to take care of them. So we'll print more money and we'll bail out these people who made all this money and who suffered the middle class. Well, Some of the people who are still unemployed, they lost their jobs and they lost their houses. So the prosperity is an illusion and it's based on, uh, on a false assumption that creating money creates wealth. It just doesn't happen that way. I mean, let's play that out a little bit because kind of the government propaganda then was that you were going to go to your ATM machine one day and they would not have any money for you. And so, so there was this fear among the populace that, oh my gosh, there's suddenly going to be no cash. It's going to, we're going to be like Zimbabwe or Argentina in the 80s, it's all, it's all over. So what would, uh, what would a President Paul have done during that time? Well, the one thing is the ATM machines aren't going to stop passing out cash. Uh, and the Social Security won't stop sending out the checks, uh, even though they'll be in default and we are bankrupted. Uh, bankrupted but we cannot con you know, continue at this rate. What, what you end up doing, the default has to come in the liquidation of debt. We're in the process of trying to get that done so that we can have economic growth again. So the debt gets liquidated by the ATM machines and the social securities checks and you know the $210 trillion of the uh, unfinanced uh, obligations that we have. Uh, they just print the money. So instead of getting $2,000 a month in your check, you get $2,000, maybe $3,000, but it only buys $1,000 worth of goods. So the ATM machines, Social Security, the welfare checks, the food stamps will all continue until the money is destroyed. There was not a lack of cash in Zimbabwe. They had all the cash in the world. Everybody was a millionaire. It's, so, ruining, so it's ruining the value of the money that is the real culprit. That's where the real theft and immorality is. So what would you have done, though, to protect the middle class, which, which might have been, I think the fear was the middle class would have been screwed if all the banks were bankrupt because all their banks would be gone, like where their money was. Well, because we set it up because the insurance is an illusion that somebody would take care of you. But if you, in the process, if you had to correct the system, system uh, do like in, uh, Iceland did, let the bankers go bankrupt. The people who ripped them off went to jail. So if you had, if you felt compelled to bail out somebody, bail out the homeowner. But that wasn't happening because they don't. So how would you have done that? Would you have, would you have written, instead of writing the a trillion dollars worth of checks to the banks, would you have written to the homeowner? Like, what would you have done? Well, if it was only those two choices, yes, I'd have defended the homeowners, but I wouldn't have argued that that was the right thing to do. You have to clean the slate. You have to liquidate the debt. You have to go back to ground zero in order to get economic growth again. And that's what we haven't done since 1921. We have always added debt on to debt, which creates this huge, huge financial bubble. And that's why we keep having first a NASDAQ bubble, then we have the housing bubble, and now we have a, 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 a that. now we have a, a bond bubble. And uh, it's, it's the insecurity of uh, what's going on here that prevents the economic growth. And the only thing left is trust in the dollar because it's the best currency so far in the world, but it comes to an end. Otherwise, if it doesn't come to an end, it means no American has to work again because we can just print money and send it to China or whatever and buy food or whatever because they like our dollar. But nobody so, expects that to happen. So it's going to end and we're in the midst of it, uh, of that transition. So given that there's this disaster caused by this almost, I don't want to use the word conspiracy, but this almost collusion between the government and the banking industry and so on. Again, if all the bank, if you go to the, the, uh, a clean slate, how do you protect the middle class 
that keeps their money in the banks. Or, or depends on the banking system to not go bankrupt. Like, well, well, I agree with you, but I don't know what to do. I don't know what the solution okay. is. Well, well, what you first have to do is admit the government messed up. They screwed up badly. They didn't protect the middle class. All this stuff is designed to protect the middle class, whether, whether it's the FDA or bank insurance or flood insurance. All these things are designed to protect the middle class, but it never happens that way. It causes the government to make more mistakes. So the FDIC insures the banking accounts. Well, you say, well, if you didn't have that, what would happen? Well, there'd be private insurance. People would be more cautious. They'd be more cautious about making loans. There'd be more prosperity. And, uh, and the insurance could be just made private. But if you insure bad loans, like was encouraged by law, forced by law, to make bad loans during the housing bubble, and it continues today. Oh, well, and guarantee this. Go out and spend the money, and it'll take care of itself. You make the, the government interference makes people do the wrong things where the market and the people are taught to take care of their own business. But governments, uh, the government is actually the, the, uh, the, the unit is that causes our trouble by making people or encouraging people to do the wrong things with this illusion. Oh, well, the insurance, and they're going to always take care of me. I don't have to worry. I don't have to pay for education. I have a right. I have an entitlement to free education, free medical care, free food stamps and it leads to a disaster. And it's all based on humanitarianism. And it's humanitarianism with, with, a, with a sharp edge because eventually it's the most inhumane thing you can do is to bring about disaster. And right now, you can go out and you can find a lot of people who are living. There's 60,000 people homeless in New York City and nobody talks about why. And it has to do with what I'm talking about in, on a failed economic system that cannot be corrected by more government intervention. It just won't happen. So I, I agree. And what you're sort of suggesting is that the people who kind of fell for the propaganda that the system was humanitarian, those people might experience some pain in a clean slate. Um, they're they're going to suffer from the, 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 the spigot turning off. Well, yes, but, you know, I, when I talked in the campaign, I always talked about a, a transition that you could be doing, a, that you could do, and you could work our way out of it. But politically, they won't allow. That would mean uh, if we wanted to help the people who become dependent and help help them get back on their feet again, you'd have to cut uh, the military budget. We'd have to bring all our troops home and we would have to right. wean government down and maybe provide uh, help for, uh, you know, medical help for the people who have no other medical care. And you could work your way out of that, but it's not going to happen. Nobody gets cut. The, 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 the strongest lobbyists are the ones who want to run the warfare, you know, the warfare spending, the military industrial complex. And second to that is the banking industry. They get all the insurance. It's all done by who gets the money first when the Fed creates the new money? And, uh, and we're not even allowed to find out who those individuals are because they won't allow us to audit the Fed. So it's a fraudulent monetary system designed to help the special interests, all with the great notion, we're going to help the poor people. We're going to take care of them. We're going to give them free food and free medical care and free education. Well, those who got this so-called free education, $1.3 trillion, they go, oh, okay, this just right off the debt. Well, sounds good, but let me tell you, it's not workable. I always dreamed that the 20th century would prove the total failure of authoritarianism, communism, fascism, socialism, welfareism. And yet here we are, 
uh, we have too many people saying, well, you know, we have a mess here. I guess what we need is socialism. I mean, for a socialist candidate to raise $200 million to uh, give this country socialism, there's a lot of lousy economic teaching out there. They need more Austrian economics and they need more of a desire to think about civil liberties. And civil liberties means that you can have your own social life unmolested by government and no rules and regulation, but you ought to have an economic life where you make your own free choices. If it works out in social affairs, you can, in religion, you can pick any church you want, any synagogue, anything you want, or none, and nobody cares. But when it comes to economics, on, on, oh no, you can't make your own decision. You can't pick who your workers are, how much you pay for them, and uh, who your customers are. It can't be a mutual agreement because there are too many people who want to manage you and manage the country. They're authoritarians, and, and that's what we have running for why running for president right now? They're all authoritarians. Tell people what to do. They need a boss. Well, we need help. We're frightened. We're scared. What are we going to do? ISIS is coming. So we need you. Spend more money. And they all say, we have to spend more money on the military. They're doing exactly opposite of what I think they should do. Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over a hundred or 200 different Airbnbs over a three year period. And I loved it. I love, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests? And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I am so glad you convinced me that the family car should be the Defender 110. It is so beautiful inside. 
so comfortable and it just feels indestructible. Yes, it really is. I've been waiting a long time for the new model to come out. The Defender 110, I'm telling you, it's my favorite car of all times. It's my third one. You know, I have stories of going off road. The guy managed the group. He was like, what are you doing in this beautiful car? I'm like, I'm going off road. He's like, are you sure? Because you can use one of ours. And then they look like Mad Max cars. I'm like, no, 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 no. We're going to do this. And he was shocked. Wow. Well, it's great because the Defender has been reimagined for 21st century adventure and its unparalleled off-road ability as well as its robust interior are invaluable whether you're headed towards uncharted territory or just a weekend of exploration. The Defender 110 tackles challenging surroundings with absolute confidence. The SUV conveys strength outside and in, featuring peerless technology like an intuitive driver display and an award-winning infotainment system. That's my favorite part, to keep you connected no matter where the journey takes you. Adventure is unique to everyone, and so is the Defender. Choose from the two-door Defender 90, the four-door Defender 110, or the larger Defender 130 with the ability to seat up to eight passengers. You'll find uncompromising performance in all three. So pack up and go even further with the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like, I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H I M S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science backed treatments for erectile dysfunction hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I'm definitely going to use him for now. Not on. that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might, you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the HIMSS app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hymns.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Given that this strong value system and this strong set of like core beliefs that helped you kind of decide the policies you would go for, again, I go back to my original question, why Congress? And, and the evidence is, I mean, I, you, you sponsored an incredible 620 bills, one passed into law. Well, because you have to understand why I was there. And I would say to my staff, they would come and there'd be a bill on the floor and uh, it would be a horrible bill. And they say, well, here, here's an amendment. Do this and you can, it's, it's $10 million. And if you do this, you can save a million dollars. 
I said, I am not a legislator. I'm not here to legislate. I am here for different purposes to point out the evils of this system. So no, I had no interest in that uh, whatsoever. I, I didn't run. You see, if I, when I won in the 70s, if I decided, you know, this is nice. I'd like to be the chairman of the banking committee. Well, there was a road for me to be the chairman of the banking committee. Uh, all I had to do was uh, pay attention, raise money, uh, play games with the leadership, and move up the ladder and vote the way they tell me to vote, become a non-person. I had no, right. no desires. My desire was there for one thing, and that was, could I get, could I get elected with a platform that I had? Well, I proved that. Then the question, next question was, well, if I do exactly what I said, can I get reelected? And of course, to do exactly what I said, I had to be the person that voted no more times than anybody else, all, all the rest put together. Uh, and and pe people were in my district, they got to know me, they were willing to do this. But I was trying to set a standard. I thought nobody would pay attention. I never thought I'd be running for president and get any attention whatsoever. I thought it would be just a record on what you should do if you believed in the Constitution, you believed in liberty, and you believe that government is the uh, is at fault for almost all our problems in this country, that uh, somebody might read someday and decide, well, maybe, maybe he had something because things aren't going well right now. But right now, you might say, well, you didn't do any good then. The country keeps going in the wrong direction. But that's where I would disagree. Because the country is out there. It's the young people that I reach. There's a whole new generation that are concerned about this, that are studying Austrian economics. It's just not me alone. Uh, it, it's many, many more. So the groundwork is being laid to pick up the pieces when this disaster hit. Just like the Soviet system went poof, it was gone. And uh, of course, their substitute wasn't all that great, but a lot better than communism. So that's what's going to happen. And that's why it's so important. This is not a political issue at all. I don't even like politics. I did it only because I could get a voice out there telling people what was going on, what you need to do, and what the substitute has to be. And believe me, we're going to have a chance. Now, if they are really sincere that it's socialism that they want, they're going to have the opportunity. But the, uh, the collapse of all this, the unworking of the system is going to come soon, five, ten years. We'll have to make a major decision. But this will become non-functional. It will not function because the money won't function. We will have to change our way of living. We'll have to decide, do we want a government to protect our liberty or do we want a government to manage our lives, run the economy and police the world? That's the only choice that they have. Well, clearly you have a, a message that resonated well beyond your district because once you, uh, and I think it's the simplicity and, and authenticity of your message because once you did run for president, you had this groundswell of basically independent you know, support that was neither purely Democrat, purely Republican. It was this this mixture, this groundswell. And it's kind of your initial attempts at, you know, both independent candidacy and Republican candidacy for president that's led to things like, uh, and there's a direct connection, it's led to things like the Tea Party and then even the candidacies of, of Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders kind of owe their groundswell support to you, someone who kind of went against the establishment. So how do you see sort of the current campaign? Uh, the opposition is rather great when it comes to, yes, the uh, spontaneity of the Tea Party movement during our campaign was one thing. 
And uh, there was a groundswell, but rather rapidly, Republicans and other conservatives who didn't like my foreign policy came in to usurp that and uh, take that away. But it's still alive and well, this revolutionary spirit and the, and the liberty message. It's, it's still there, and it's the only answer to what we have. So I, um, I actually don't get too discouraged. I'm always amazed that, that things have gone as well and that we've gotten this attention because I see it as an educational attitudes count. Our government reflects the prevailing attitude of the people. The prevailing attitude of the people is a reflection of our universities, our, our, our thought leaders, what's going in Congress and what you hear on television. But that is starting to shift because we have the internet. We have an opportunity to get a message out and you don't have to listen to that. We spend a lot of time here in our studio talking about foreign policy and the ridiculous uh, notions that we follow on foreign policy. And most, most Americans don't pay much attention to it. So uh, I think though that uh, there, there has to be an awakening on this because uh, the, the results otherwise are gonna be so bad. And do you see the candidacies of both Trump and Sanders? Again, their, their supporters tend to be people who don't even necessarily understand what their true belief systems are, but are so anti-establishment they're kind of going to the extremes of whatever Trump or Sanders represents. Do you kind of see that as an outgrowth of the your initial candidacy? There's part of that uh, because I complained about what was going on and, and people who would support Trump or Sanders would say they're unhappy too. But the answer for them is, is opposite of what my answers were. So Sanders said they can make everything free and have no idea about economic policy. And Trump's answer is, not to let the people decide, let the people be their own boss. He says, I'm the boss. I'll tell you what to do. And this is it. If ISIS is a problem, I'm going to bomb the living daylights out of them. And I'm going to use nuclear weapons if I need to. And if we catch a jihadist, we'll torture him until he tells us the truth. And if the Chinese don't play fair, we're going to put a 45% tariff on It's totally nuts. And that's yeah. what's going on. But uh, so, yes, they're playing on... Uh, the problems that I described, but they are completely divorced from what I propose because mine is actually a coalition of bringing progressive Democrats together with libertarian conservatives who, who want free markets. But, uh, you know, the, a good progressive Democrat, like a Dennis Kucinich and I work very well together, and that is understanding what civil liberties are all about, understanding about the fallacies of our foreign policy, but also understanding the ability for the free market to provide for the middle class. The more freedom in the marketplace, the greater and the more prosperous the middle class is. And nobody can refute that, and yet post people tend to ignore it, and they say, oh no, we gotta go with Bernie and Hillary. They promise everything for free. And I, I like that idea without asking practical questions. Well, who, who is this that's gonna pay for this? Yeah, we'll just print up the money, <laughs> and that'll solve all our problems. Well, well, let me let me play. I'm gonna play get devil's advocate again because uh, again, I I always find I I largely agree with you on just about all of these issues. But some people in society are weaker for whatever reason or less fortunate for whatever reason than other members of society. And where does where is the role of government in sort of helping these people, whether they're you know disabled in some way through mental illness, physical illness? you know, where they come from, or, or, or even around the world, is there, or, or, although that's a separate issue, but where, what is, is there a role for government in kind of helping those who just through things outside of their control 
end up at a, a weaker place in society than others. Right, and that's the, that's the reason that they justify authoritarianism. They justify communism and socialism and fascism and all that. We've got to take care uh, of the weak. And, uh, but if one realizes that the greatest amount of suffering in poor people is a result of bad government policies. I mean, the 60,000 that I said are homeless in New York City, uh, that's not because uh, you know, people are sick. Uh, it has to do with government policies. You know, uh, f the fixing of minimum wages. You know, it's illegal. Let's say I have somebody who wants to come in and clean up my building and he's a marginal worker and I want to help him. I say, you know, I'll, I'll pay you six bucks an hour. You come in here and he'll feel good about it. He wants a job. I want to do it. But the law says you can't do that. It's against the law for me to have this voluntary contract. And then it's that kind of stuff that gets involved. But the biggest mess is the malinvestment, the, the misdirection of the economy, the bubbles that are created by the Federal Reserve having zero interest rates. Because in a free market, you have to know what the interest rate is because the interest rates tell you how much savings. The savings tells you how much investment you should have or how much savings the people should you know, have. And if you destroy the prices, that's why socialism fails. It's because there's no pricing structure. Nobody knew how much, uh, how much bread to bake and how many trains to build because there's no pricing. The supply and demand, they ruin that. We've ruined one half of our economy by fixing the price of money. And that's one half of every transaction. So that's how you create uh, the poor people. But still, your question remains, that doesn't take care of everybody. That might take care of 85% uh, of the poor people, but there's still gonna be 5% or so that are unable to take care of themselves. Well, there's a better chance of taking care of them in a prosperous society than in a poor society. You shouldn't give up so easily and say, oh yeah, the rich people, there'd be more rich people and there'd be more donations. Even under today's and these difficult times, we are still a very generous nation. If you go back just a few years, even in my lifetime, some of the great hospitals were still church run and uh, the schools were privately run. They weren't, they weren't run by governments and, uh, and it, the government runs them because of the propaganda. They wanna get out there and preach statism, teach the things that people accept. You're okay, you're entitled to it, you don't have to work, and we'll fix the prices and all this thing. So uh, I believe very sincerely, if you care about poor people or the pure people unable to take care of themselves, yes, they should do the, as best they can on themselves. Then the family should help them if they care. Then their neighbors or their church or charitable organizations. Believe me, it won't be perfect, but it'll be a thousand times better than the results of socialism and fascism that has a result of authoritarianism and where we're going today. Because even though the stock market's at sky high rates right now, if you wanna go and look at the, uh, uh, the underemployed, the people who are barely making it, it's really bad. And that's, if that weren't true, people wouldn't be so upset and angry right now. They are because the conditions are much worse than the government statistics want you to believe, and yet they still want people like you to believe that it's, it's the government's fault and we have this obligation. No, I say if you concede that you have to give this much, uh, you're conceding 100% of the principle that it's the government's moral authority to take from somebody who is productive and take it and give it to somebody else. That person who is in need, he has no right to go into somebody else's house and say, well, you have food and I don't. No, he's considered a theft. But if you send a member of Congress to go in there with the IRS with a gun and take it out and take it over there, 
then, then all of a sudden he's a good guy. Oh, you're, you're scaring me now. Don't scare moral me. moral principle. So now let me play the devil. I keep saying the word devil's That's advocate. That's all you but are. You're the devil's advocate per se today, I'll tell you. <laughs> and I want to so, I want to remind you uh, in about five minutes or so, I got to run because I have another hit time to make. No, I, I totally appreciate that. So so let me ask you this. Predictions on this election. I know that this is the obvious question. I, I hate asking it, but you're the expert I want to ask. I want your opinion. I'm not, what's going to happen in the election? Yeah. Well, I'm I'm not an expert on politics. I don't even like politics. They get me to talk on, about you, it because they're irrelevant. It's irrelevant. Oh, only one person in this conversation has run for president, though. So, so what's your just from a game theory aspect? Who's who's going to win? Realistically, who's going to win? Well, that's a that's a toss up because I don't predict the future, even though I do make projections sometimes, and they uh, uh, they come out rather accurate. But no, I I. Uh, I don't know, I heard a statement today that seemed to make sense. If the perceptions are that the stock market is doing well, they were engaging with the stock market. If the stock market's doing this, the, uh, the incumbent party usually wins. So that means um, that Hillary, at this moment, uh, the gamblers would probably bet on, on Hillary. And do you and I'm regret not a, not I'm making... not a gambler. So. That, that's okay. And do you regret not making a, a run this year? I know your son made a run this year, which, which was impressive. And I, I met him during his race, and I thought he was a very honest, authentic person, just like you are. Um, do you regret not playing more of a role in this year's election? No, I'm very happy that uh, I got to do the things that I wanted to talk about the academic uh, aspects of this and the principles of liberty and work with my my channel and and do more of that visit the college campuses because i think that's where the action i think i think this presidential election more than ever people say this is the most important election ever no it isn't it's the same old stuff uh, there's going to be no changes if it's a even if it's a trump uh, versus hillary it'll it'll be the same uh they're they're not going to be able to do it because the powers to be the, uh, the dark state, the people who really run things, the people who run monetary policy, who run our military and run the CIA, that's all locked in place. They're not going to unhinge it. It's too big and too much out of, out of control. The only thing that'll pull that all down is the destruction of the dollar, which I believe will come. Well, Dr. Ron Paul, thank you so much for joining me on the show. I really appreciate it. I, I know you're busy and, and good luck. Thanks again. James, nice to be with you. For more from James, check out The James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network at jamesaltucher.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. Hey, thanks for listening. Listen, I have a big favor to ask you and it will only take 30 seconds or less and it would mean a huge amount to me. If you like this podcast, please let me know. Please let the team I work with know. Please let my guests know. And you can do this easily by subscribing to the podcast probably the biggest favor you could do for me right now. And it's really simple. Just go to iTunes, search for the James Altucher show and click subscribe. Again, it will only take you 30 seconds or less. And if you subscribe now, it will really help me out a lot. Thanks again.